Taiwan may be facing the loss of yet another ally. In an interview with the daily newspaper The Australian, Tuvalu's ambassador to Taiwan revealed that a source indicated the possibility of Tuvalu switching ties to Beijing after the Pacific Island nation holds its general elections on Friday. In response, Taiwan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs dismissed the claims, saying that the friendship between the two countries remains solid. After our most recent election, Tuvalu's government and opposition parties also congratulated the president and vice president-elect and reiterated their firm commitment to the friendship between our two countries. The relationship between Taiwan and Tuvalu is based on the universal values of freedom, democracy, rule of law and human rights. The two sides cherish their firm mutual friendship and will continue to strengthen cooperation in various fields in the future. Also interviewed by The Australian recently was Foreign Minister Joseph Wu. When asked to comment on Nauru's recent severing of ties with Taiwan in favor of Beijing, Wu criticized China for engaging in dollar diplomacy. He urged countries in the region to be vigilant in the face of Chinese expansionism, which he said has already reached beyond the first island chain. In the wake of TSMC's earnings call last week, where positive news and rosy outlook were announced, the company's stock shot up by 38 NT the following day. And as if on cube, Jensen Huang, the founder of NVIDIA, a major client of TSMC, arrived in Taiwan over the weekend and was spotted at Taipei's Ningxia Night Market. It's reported that the Taiwanese-American tycoon is in town for a TSMC function. Observers say Huang's visit likely has to do with keeping a step ahead of its competitor, AMD, another TSMC client. Every time Jensen Huang is in Taiwan, he visits a night market. But the reason for his visit this time is for more than just an oyster omelette. He's reportedly here for TSMC's Partners Conference on Advanced Packaging Supply Chain. Huang's being here in person is a reflection of how he values his company's partnership with TSMC. The main battlefield of AI will definitely take place in chips. NVIDIA uses the B100 of TSMC's 3 nanometer process with its related server assembly businesses. It will be able to grasp the relevant progress and take over the A100 and H100 chips to maintain NVIDIA's lead in market share so as to prevent AMD from expanding its market share. This expert believes that Jensen Huang is in Taiwan to solidify his company's position because there's a new player in this year's AI war, NVIDIA's competitor, AMD, which entered the fray last year and will end up redistributing the market share. However, NVIDIA and AMD are both major customers of TSMC. They use 3 nanometer and 5 nanometer processes, respectively, and TSMC has benefited from both. Taiwan's star chipmaker is looking at a first quarter revenue of 18 to 18.8 billion U.S. dollars, which will be a new first quarter high, with a gross margin of 52 to 54 percent. We are confident to outperform the foundry industry growth. We expect our business to grow quarter over quarter, expect to increase by low to mid 20 percent in U.S. dollar terms. 
Much good news was announced at TSMC's earnings call last Thursday. The company's financial forecast, the demand for AI, and the progress of two nanometer chips all boosted investors' confidence. The next day, its share price shot up by 38 NT to close at 626 NT. Overall, foreign investors had picked up more than 80.1 billion NT of Taiwanese stocks, resulting in the second largest net purchase in the bourse's history. This included a large purchase of 110,000 shares of TSMC stock. As the TIEX opens Monday morning, all eyes will be on AI stocks to see if they'll continue to rally the market. The strongest cold wave of the season so far is upon us. Temperatures began to slide in northern Taiwan on Sunday, and central and southern Taiwan will soon feel the drop. The coldest temperatures will occur on Tuesday and Wednesday when urban areas will see 7 to 8 degrees, and open rural areas may see the mercury drop down to 5 degrees. The cold spell is expected to last till Friday. Let's hear from the Central Weather Administration. On the 22nd, it will be wet and cold all day long in the northern and northeastern regions, especially after noontime when temperatures will begin to plummet. Temperatures will be coldest in the early morning hours of the 23rd. From the weather map, we can see that the area here marked in dark blue will drop below 6 degrees. In the north, in areas near the mountains, it may also drop down to below 6 degrees. With enough moisture and the low temperatures, there may be a chance of snow anytime between Monday night and Wednesday morning on mountains above 1,000 meters in the north and northeast, as well as mountains above 2,500 meters in central and southern Taiwan and the mountains of Hualien and Taidong. With the mercury falling, clinics and hospitals are seeing a surge in patients, many of whom have had adenovirus infections. But flu and COVID cases are also on the rise. Doctors say the elderly and those with a family history of heart disease or other underlying conditions should stay vigilant. Doctors also recommend that people get the flu and COVID vaccines ahead of the Lunar New Year when cases are expected to peak. Patients arrive one after the other at this clinic, each with symptoms of respiratory conditions. The current cold wave has seen clinic visits for flu-like conditions surge to 127,000 over the past week, a 10-year high. The majority of the cases were adenovirus, accounting for 40% of the total, followed by flu and para-influenza viruses. Lately, we've been seeing many patients with respiratory tract infections, and the number of patients with COVID has been slowly increasing. I think we will see cases spike in the couple weeks before the Lunar New Year. Amid a recently high number of COVID cases at hospitals and clinics, doctors caution the public to be aware of the symptoms of severe COVID infection, including wheeziness, disorientation, or an unstable heartbeat. As many as 200 were booked for a doctor's appointment at this hospital's cardiology department on Sunday, and seats in the waiting room were filled throughout the day. When there are big swings in the temperature, we see a 20 to 30 percent increase in patients, particularly those with conditions like high blood pressure. We've even seen a rise in the number of younger people having heart attacks. 
Doctors warn that cardiovascular disease has been affecting younger people and that those with a family history of cardiovascular disease should pay attention to their health. Health officials are also encouraging the public to stay up to date with COVID and flu shots. The COVID pandemic was a boon for the stay-at-home economy, fueling growth for sectors like home entertainment, telecommunications and food delivery. But with COVID now a distant memory, online meal delivery platforms have had to adapt to survive. Although some market players have announced losses and layoffs, other delivery businesses have pivoted and expanded their services. Food delivery is seen as part of the lazy economy, but running such a service and turning a profit is anything but effortless. Today in our Sunday special report, we peek behind the scenes at what makes the industry tick. Carrying boxes in pink, green, orange and blue, an army of scooters threads through traffic and zips through the alleys of Taiwan. Food deliverers have become an inconspicuous element of everyday life. One user of their services is Mr. Xu. He says that in his family, the grandparents look after the children during the day, leaving no time to cook square meals. Ordering delivery has been the solution to that problem. We have three generations under one roof, old and young, and it's the summer break now. My wife and I both work, and we sometimes have to do overtime, which means we get back home late. For older people, taking care of the kids is hard work. Adding cooking to the equation would be impossible, so we order food on delivery platforms. It's convenient and eliminates the need to spend time and energy cooking. It's also safe. According to the Ministry of Economic Affairs, in April 2019, about 43% of Taiwanese restaurants offered some form of delivery service. After the start of the COVID pandemic, the figure shot up to 56% in April 2020. And after the Taiwan CDC imposed level 3 epidemic restrictions and banned dining in at restaurants, demand for food delivery skyrocketed. By June 2021, 67% of businesses were offering delivery. I think there have been several key factors. First is digital literacy, or rather, how people have developed the habit of using mobile services like this. It's become very common to use such services. The second factor has to do with the consumers of these delivery services. Over the past two or three years of COVID, they've gotten accustomed to ordering food delivery. After the easing of COVID restrictions in 2022, the percentage of restaurants offering delivery fell to 64%. Though it was just a drop of three percentage points, delivery platforms saw the writing on the wall. To keep the profits coming, they had to step up their game. Beep after beep, the employee scans items ordered by a customer and puts them in the cart. He marches through the aisles looking for drinks, cookies, and even fresh produce and meat. He bags items and places them on a shelf to be collected by a delivery driver. 
these are the workings of a virtual supermarket in Taipei's Nehu district. Here, customers can't just pop in to browse items, as all the goods here are exclusively for online ordering. Why is it that meal delivery platforms are also shipping fresh produce and household items? The main reason is that after COVID restrictions were lifted, people went back to restaurants, carrying demand for some home-delivered meals. After the pandemic, the growth in demand for delivery services slowed down globally. Amid the sluggishness, we had to diversify our services so that consumers would stay with us and continue to use our platform. So we got involved in helping out with all aspects of daily life. We don't just deliver food. Now we also do fresh produce and daily necessities. Starting 2022, several online delivery platforms around the world announced layoffs and losses amid high operating costs. One of them was the U.S.'s largest food delivery company, DoorDash, which cut more than 1,200 corporate jobs. Over in Japan, leading delivery platform Demekan has posted losses since 2022 after being in the business for more than 20 years. The food delivery market has been booming for years, but the industry has a high entry threshold. Startups have to amass enough capital to launch on top of the cost of designing an online platform, investing in advertising and training delivery drivers. In addition, food delivery platforms have to factor in a third party in their business model, the deliverers themselves. Paying them is no small expense. At the end of the day, the digital economy, the sharing economy, and the gig economy are all platform economies. They all do the same thing. They connect supply and demand across multiple parties through digital technologies. Your game is looking a bit sloppy. Here, let me help you clean that up. Delivery platforms do not own brick-and-mortar shops. Instead, they rely fully on digital applications, which come with significant expenses in software development and maintenance. We can the number of users grows and grows, and the platform's features have to improve constantly. That requires a team of people to keep the system running. You can imagine the scale of these staffing and maintenance costs. In addition, platform operators invest large sums of money into ads to boost exposure and keep orders coming for both deliverers and restaurants. They put a lot of effort into advertising to increase exposure, so that when consumers want to order a meal, they'll think of the platform. Take DoorDash as an example. In the third quarter of 2022, they spent 35% of their revenue in advertising. As a platform without brick-and-mortar outlets, it is more important for us to get consumers to be aware of us and to remember us. We have to stay up-to-date and fresh so that consumers consider us when making a decision. We aim to be the top choice in the minds of consumers. 
This pasta shop in New Taipei's Luzhou district has a floor space of barely five ping, none of which is dedicated to dining tables. For more than 20 years, this joint has provided takeout only, and most of its customers lived within a kilometer from the shop. Its third-generation owner, Zhu Yuling, decided to partner with a delivery platform in hopes that going online would bring in more young customers. After all, younger people might not feel like going out for a meal, and when it rains, nobody really wants to head out to buy things. So we partnered with a delivery platform to boost revenue a little when it's rainy and things like that. And it's not just restaurants benefiting from delivery platforms. Working as a delivery driver has a low entry threshold, making it a good option for unemployed people or workers on furlough looking to boost their income. Li Wenyao, 52, is a baker. He used to have a stable income until the pandemic hit his business hard. To make ends meet, he decided to start working part-time as a delivery person. During the level 3 COVID restrictions, we had no business. I was under a lot of pressure. Fortunately, my friend told me about becoming a food deliverer, and I decided to give it a go. It was originally just a side gig, but eventually Lee got so proficient at food delivery that it became his full-time job. Now, my main job is food delivery, and baking is just part-time. If I'm serious about it, I can get from 40 to 50,000 in tea or more in one month. And as a deliverer, I get to meet people from many different shops as well as customers and business partners. Sometimes I'll give them some of my own handmade wafer rolls to try. If they like them, they even place orders to buy some from me. Nowadays, food delivery platforms are teaming up with supermarkets and big box retailers to set up virtual supermarkets. There are already 36 virtual supermarkets in Taiwan. Suppliers, customers, and deliverers all rely on the same digital platform. Designing an attractive and user-friendly interface is key, as becoming the first choice for consumers is a key to turning a profit. This industry is treacherous and ever-changing. Consumers have no brand loyalty and may switch to a different platform at any time. How can you let consumers get to know about you? And with so many platforms, why should they choose you? After all, they have to download your app on their phones and add their credit card details to it. You also need to find suppliers. You need to partner up with restaurants, shops, and delivery people. All these elements are indispensable to keeping the platform running smoothly. Delivery platforms have sometimes been dismissed as part of the lazy economy. But this kind of digital venture is an important emerging industry that draws on elements from the sharing economy. We are all in the same boat, working together to grow the platform economy, be it in scope, in vision, or its sustainability. 
Nowadays, ordering food on a delivery platform is something many of us take for granted. But to keep this convenient industry running, operators have the monumental task of coordinating people across many sectors to ensure everyone ends up winning.